glad to know that the Father's love is in great measure. The psalmist said he had not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. But as high as the heaven is above the earth, so great are his mercies toward them that love him. What a great confidence we have tonight in the love of God. Amen. Why don't we just give the Lord praise and thanks tonight for his goodness and for his mercy to the children of men. Lord, we bless your name. We thank you, Lord. You are great and you are greatly to be praised. Amen. Amen. Before you're seated tonight, I want to direct your attention back to Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to maybe pick up with a couple of verses that we have not emphasized, not read. I trust that you have read the Beatitudes enough in the last month or so that you have, you have the context for these verses. And uh, so we're just going to start with verse 13 and read down through verse 16. Matthew five thirteen, Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt hath lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. So let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Amen. Amen. Why don't we go to the Lord in prayer? Just invite his presence here. I feel him already in this place, but that he would anoint our hearts and minds tonight to receive his word. Lord, we're so grateful for the opportunity to be in your house, and we thank you for preserving your word for us. Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds tonight, that we would see and understand the word that is spoken to us, that your word would speak directly to us, just as we need tonight, and we trust that you will do the work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you. You may be seated. And again, just so grateful for the opportunity to be here and to be in the presence of the Lord with the family of God and the opportunity to deliver the word tonight. Thankful for that opportunity. We've been talking about the Beatitudes, so-called Beatitudes. Um, and uh, of course, those, uh, those are the characteristics that bring blessing to our life. And not just blessing in the common modern sense of the word. Um, by the way, when you hear a lot of people these, talk, these days talk about being blessed, that means they got hold of a little money. That's not necessarily what blessing always means. But what, what the Lord is talking about here, of course, is a blessedness that comes from a, a spiritual aspect and it manifests itself in our lives as a, as a supreme joy, uh, a gladness that persists and pervades our lives. And what the Lord says, as we've been discussing, is when we have these attitudes, we have these characteristics in our lives, we are going to be blessed. And it is counter 
to the thinking of the natural man to think that um, being poor in spirit would bring gladness or that mourning could be could bring gladness or any of these other characteristics would uh, somehow bring blessedness in our lives but if we're honest with ourselves much of the teaching that the Lord gives to us is counter to what our natural man thinks and this is why Paul would say the natural man knows not the things of God neither can he know them because it's just not it just doesn't add up from a natural perspective but of course uh, when the spirit of the Lord comes and we begin to understand that there uh, this carnality this humanity is temporary but there is an eternal economy that we are a part of then through the understanding of the Holy Spirit, we are able to begin to grasp some of these things. Now, you know, faith requires, we're not saved by knowledge. We're not saved by understanding. There comes a point in every one of our lives, um, and usually with great regularity, where we need to move in faith. We follow in obedience, even when it doesn't make sense. But the beautiful thing is the Lord does not leave us in our whole lives to just blindly operate by faith without any confirmation at all what we discover is that when we begin to move in obedience and out of faith that lo and behold what the lord told us to be true is true that when we enter into relationship with him it is the greatest source of fulfillment and the world may look at us and say well you don't do this and you don't do that and this doesn't make sense to me and I don't know why you've chosen to live this way and I don't understand why this has to be this way and surely God doesn't care about this or that but when we block all of that out and we just follow what the spirit of the Lord says and what the word of the Lord reveals to us what we begin to discover is that yes there is great blessedness in living for God and when we allow his spirit to work in our lives, there is a, a fulfillment that comes to us that we get no other way. Right. And we discover that all of... What, was, what did the writer of Hebrews say about Moses? That he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season? Esteeming now, get now the writer of Hebrews. He's he's kind of mixing, he's he's mixing testimonies, or he's mixing he's mixing covenants. He's mixing testaments because he says he he chose to suffer affliction with the people of God rather to, than to enjoy the pleasures of sin. <clears throat> Speaking of Egypt, he just flat out calls Egypt sin for a season. Esteeming the riches of Christ worth all of the reproach that he would endure it's interesting to me just as a side note that the writer of hebrews would say that moses chose the riches of christ you get that right he's 1500 years before christ and he's choosing the riches of christ because somehow in in his mind the lord had revealed some things to moses and he chose those things we have a much easier job in many ways than what moses did because we've come after christ we saw 
we get to see how that the Lord operated in the earth. And then on top of all of that, we have the power of the Holy Spirit. When we choose these things, we also are sending a clear message that we would choose rather to suffer what the world might call affliction, that we may have the riches of Christ in our lives. And so this is the way that the Lord begins to operate in us. Now we've, we've spent the last few weeks talking about this is not just some academic thing, but this actually makes a difference in our lives. This changes the way that we live. And I think we've all had the experience, no matter, really, it doesn't matter whether you were raised around the church or if you were a heathen. We'll just say it that way. Because we're all heathens. David said, I was shapen in iniquity. And that, that describes all of us. And we probably came, most of us, I would think, you came to a point in your life when you realized that whatever was going on in your life was actually destroying you. And you made up your mind that, well, I'm not going to do that anymore. Whatever that is might have been drug addiction it might have been uncontrolled anger it might have been lust it might have been whatever you just let your mind remind you of where you've come from and the pit that the lord digged you out of right and so we just made up our mind that i'm not going to do that anymore and depending on how hard-headed we are we're able to for a season put that aside it might have been 30 minutes It might have been a day or a week. But eventually, because it is so encoded in our spiritual DNA to be rebellious against God, eventually that nature pushes its way through. And in spite of our best intentions and in spite of our strongest exercise of our will, our nature overtakes and we fall right back into the same trap that we've found ourselves falling into over and over again but when we came to the lord and we said i have nothing to offer you i have i have no strength i have no ability i put myself at your mercy and i want to i want to follow after you but i can't do it myself the lord graciously fills us with his spirit when we have that spirit it's what ezekiel said the lord said through Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36, he said, I will take the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. Our old nature was hard and resistant and flinty and it would not be changed. It resisted. It didn't matter how hard we pressed against our old nature and our old heart. It refused to change. But God said, I'll take that out of you and I'll give you a tender heart. I'll give you a heart of flesh that now can be molded and now can be shaped. Now, that to me, you've probably heard me say this before, that's the most beautiful Old Testament picture of being born again that, that I have found. That picture of the old stony heart coming out and being replaced with a tender heart of flesh that God can mold and shape. And when we did that, when we allowed that to happen, when the Lord graciously filled us with his spirit, then all of a sudden these things that used to have dominion over us, we began to get the victory over because now we have the power of the spirit of the lord living inside of us and we're able to resist temptation now so this is what the lord is talking about here in 
the opening portion of this Sermon on the Mount is how when we are in relationship, when we're in covenant relationship with him, how our lives are changed. And, and again, this is not just a philosophy. It's not some academic thing. This has practical impacts. We're able to live above sin. And we, we need to never lose our sense of gratitude and appreciation for our, the blessedness that the Lord has placed in our lives and allowing us to live above sin. Now, I know you're thinking, well, I, I slip up from time to time. Okay, there is a difference in reaching toward the mark and missing the mark from time to time, not doing everything that we know to do, failing. There's a difference in that missing the mark as we strive to reach forward and living under the power of sin. In our old life, we were under the power of sin. We had no choice in many ways. Our nature controlled us. And the thing is, we, we need to remember and not lose perspective at how important and how what God's perspective of sin is. God's perspective is that sin is destructive. It, it will destroy us. These are not things that we toy around with and play around with. Sin is a serious matter. It's a serious matter in the eyes of God. It's a serious matter in our own lives. And I don't mean to minimize what I said about if we're striving and we miss the mark. Well, the Lord is gracious and just to forgive us if we confess our sins. So we have a, we have an advocate with the Father. We have, we're in relationship. We, we can take care of that. And the Lord helps us to, to overcome. And the victorious Christian life is, there's just, there's no price to put on it. It wouldn't matter if you did win that lottery last night. It wouldn't touch the value of being able to live an overcoming life through the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen. I, all Everybody's holy. Nobody even flinched when I said the lottery. I mean, $2 billion, y'all didn't even know about it, right? I'm, I'm joking a little bit. But the point is, we, Paul said, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. He has given us untold riches through his spirit in our own lives. That the, Paul said he put it in these earthen vessels because anybody that looks at us would know it's not us. That the excellency of the power might be of God and not of us. Nobody would look at me and say, now, you know, um, he's really accomplished a lot on his own. No, they look at me and they go, that's got to be God. That has to be the Lord at work. Now, when we get down here to verse 13, the tenor changes a little bit in the sense that everything to this point has been about what we experience and how we treat each other. If you read through these Beatitudes, it's if you have this attitude, you're going to be blessed because of um, you know, inheriting the kingdom, uh, seeing God being filled your hunger and thirst being satisfied it's all about if if i seek the lord in these ways then i'm going to be blessed in these ways and that's important for us to understand how this affects our lives but at verse 13 
the tenor changes a little bit and now it becomes about once that change has occurred now it's not just affecting your life it's not just affecting your life individually but now all of a sudden you're going to have an impact in the world Jesus said you are the salt of the earth not not the salt of your household not the salt of your neighborhood not the salt of your community your city your you are the salt of the earth and people that know a lot more greek than i do say this is really written very emphatically such that the lord is if you wanted to translate it more literally he would be saying you alone are the salt of the whole earth there is no other salt but the people of God. You alone, or you are the only salt of the whole earth. Now that's an interesting phrase, and I know we we use that phrase to talk about people now. They're just good, solid people. They're just salt of the earth people. What do we what do we really mean by that? And I think we have to go back and think about the time in which these words were spoken. How important was salt? And you probably have heard all of these, but let me just remind you, salt was incredibly important in the ancient world because they lacked refrigeration. And so one of the primary uses of salt was as a preservative. It was the way to keep meat from spoiling, and they would use the salt to do that. Salt was so important that the Roman soldiers sometimes were paid in salt. And the the Latin word for that was salarium. That's where we get salary from today, is this idea of being paid in salt. And so when somebody says, well, he's not worth his salt, that has an actual meaning, and it comes from literally the fact that they were paid in salt. And one soldier might say of another, he's not worth his salt. But this is the importance of this plentiful... Uh, commodity but yet it was important enough to their um, their well-being that it was something that was valued and they would use it for these kinds of purposes so why would the lord say you are the salt of the earth and i think there are there are several reasons why why he would say that and people have speculated on a variety of things it was called uh, sometimes salt was actually even referred to as white gold. It was so valuable and so important that even though it was rather plentiful, they would they referred to it as white gold. So maybe the Lord, you know, maybe the Lord is trying to to say you are the you're the purifying agent. You're the pure ones that are in the world. You're the you're the purity of the earth, and and like the salt is white and recognizable. Um, that's the church. I, I think okay, maybe there's something there, but I I don't think that's really I don't think that's really what the Lord is getting at here. There's there are a few different things, and uh, one of these is kind of well, maybe it's almost humorous in a way. You know, we say don't put salt in the wound, and the reason why we say that is because it it stings when you put salt in the wound. But actually, there's a, there's a good reason to put salt in the wound because it does have kind of an antibacterial medicinal effect. And it was sometimes used for that, but it would be 
um, a rather unpleasant thing. So maybe the Lord is saying, you know, your presence in the world should sting a little bit. Um, we, if we're not careful, there's a large part of the church world today that just wants to go along to get along and I'm okay, you're okay, everything's fine. But I think there is, you know, if you are ever wondering if, um, if you have any nicks on your hands or uh, anything, just just wash your hands in some salt water. It'll it'll point out to you where the trouble is, right? If you've if you've nicked yourself, you'll find out in a hurry whenever you come in contact with some salt. And so perhaps part of this is that it's important that we stand for truth. And while we don't want to be offensive in our manner of living or in the way that we. Um, come across to people yet there is a certain amount of the fact that true righteousness when it comes in contact with the wounds of sin it's likely to sting a little bit and if people have chosen to live in rebellion against god when they come in contact with truth and people who live in righteousness there's a little bit of stinging that that goes on um, but we we probably shouldn't relish that stinging too much. You know, it's um, maybe that's a, a kind of a secondary effect. I think there are two really important things that salt does, and that probably are the things that the Lord is really getting at here when He says, "You're the salt of the earth." First of all, it is a necessary mineral for us to have, even in our own bodies. It helps to regulate our um, hydration and so forth and so if you get out of balance with too much or too little it it gets it gets you out of balance so there's a role there in the actual health of the person but i think even more than that is that salt stimulates our thirst and the question for us is when people are around us are they thirsty do we make them thirsty for righteousness the beatitude was blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled but now once you have been filled is there that same impact on the people that you come in contact with are you inducing a thirst in their lives now at first glance this seems a little bit counter to what we read last week blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake rejoice and be exceeding glad blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake it seems to imply that when we live righteously there's going to be persecution that comes against us there's going to be rejection there's going to be uh, us being repelled pushed out from the presence of people And there is certainly a measure of that that occurs. But the Lord turns right around and says, you're the salt of the earth. And I think if we look at the life of Jesus, he had both of these elements in his life. He was rejected by the leaders, by those who felt threatened by his presence. He was rejected, he was persecuted, and you know, ultimately crucified by Uh, by the political leaders of his day and the religious leaders of his day because he was a threat to them but at the same time look who flocked to him it was the broken it was the hurting it was Zacchaeus the tax collector that's up the tree 
It's Simon. It's the woman who breaks the alabaster box at his feet. He was accused of eating with publicans and sinners. They called him a glutton and a wine-bibber because of the people that he hung out with. The people that were attracted to him, there was something about his righteousness that stirred up a thirst or a hunger in them for more of what he had and of his presence. And I think the question for us is, what is our effect on people? Are people drawn to us or are they put off by our manner? See, I think, I think self-righteousness puts people off. Isaiah said all our righteousnesses, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Anything that we could do to exude righteousness on our own behalf, it's just, there's nothing attractive about it. It's repulsive. It makes me, it makes me want to go away. But true righteousness, true love, truly caring about people, true response with genuine empathy and a desire to help, these are things that you communicate to people that they matter and that they're important. And sometimes it's the most broken people who have never been, never had that communicated to them that they are valuable and that they are worthwhile. And they are looking for just someone to, to validate them and confirm that. And it forms a connection and there is an attraction that comes. Several years ago, it's been a long time now, Philip Yancey wrote a book called What's, a, what's so amazing about grace? And he was pondering this very thing. Why is it that people don't view the church as, as a valuable place to go when they're hurting or when they're broken? Why are we, as the church, not attractive to people who have deep and profound needs? And he told a story about... Um, about a woman who lived in one of the big cities, maybe Chicago, and uh, she, her life was a wreck, addiction, prostitution, just, uh, just going into the very depths of um, everything that life would have to offer, so to speak, or would take away. And she reached a point of such great despair that she actually went to a social service some social services place to try to get some help and the person that she was talking to suggested well have you tried going to the church and she got the most puzzled look on her face and she said why in the world would I go to a church but Yancey's point was that is precisely the kind of person that would have found their way to Jesus and if the world in its brokenness is not being attracted to us then we are not fulfilling our role as the salt of the earth. And if the salt has lost its saltiness, if, if there is no inducement of thirst in people to come and to understand and to be drawn to what we have experienced and to our manner of living, if there is no drawing, maybe the salt has lost its saltiness. And the Lord said, then it's not really good for anything but just put down on the ground to soak up a little bit of water and take care of any any little mud holes and we'll just walk over it and it will have no value. So the question for us becomes, are we making men thirsty? There was a great, one of the feasts 
John tells the story in John 7 of the, the great feast and what they would do at this feast is they would go and they would bear large buckets of water from the pool of Siloam and they would take them up to the temple and they would pour them on the altar and down the steps of the temple and then on the last day they would pour so much water and the it was um, it was meant to remember what the Lord did for them from the rock in the Old Testament as they were coming out of Egypt and this is where John says in the last day the great day of the feast Jesus stood and cried and said if any man thirst let him come unto me and then he said he that believeth on me as the scripture has said out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water and John adds the explanation this he spoke of the Holy Spirit which had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So he's explaining to us that when Jesus is talking about rivers of living water that flow out of the believer, if you believe as the scripture said, there is a, there is a river that flows and that flowing river is actually the indwelling of the Holy Ghost. It's a beautiful thing about John being written so late. He could look back and he had all the perspective and he could explain to us. He says, you know, Judas didn't care about the Judas didn't care about the poor. He was a thief. So that was the reason why he was asking about, could we not take all of this money that the woman, the alabaster box, she broke, and we should have taken that and sold it and give it to the poor. And John said, he didn't say that because he was cared about the poor. He said it because he was a thief. So he had the perspective. He could look back. And when he talked about rivers of living water, he looked back and he explained, he says, that's the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Now, the beautiful thing about this is that brings the two things together. Jesus says, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me. But then he turns around to us and says, you're the salt of the earth. And if you believe on me, as the scripture said, you have a river of living water. So you have the, the salt to draw them, but then you have the living water to give to them when they come. It's the completeness of the Christian's life. And the importance of the impact that we have in the world in which we live. And it really, it doesn't stop there. It leads us, that leads us to the follow-up point is that salt's main use in those days was as a preservative. We live in a world that is supremely broken and it is decaying day by day. And yet the Lord says to us, you're the salt of the earth. There is a preserving effect of the church and of believers living for God. It has a preserving effect on the world in which we live. And sometimes we lose sight of that fact. But you know, in a lot of ways, the, without getting too political, the state has all of these different ways to try to rehabilitate and reform people who go astray. But really, the most effective way to redeem a man is through the church of the living God. We get no state funding, but we do a great service in the, the sense that 
people who come here may come here broken but this is where they can find restoration this is where lives can be put back together and people who were completely lost and undone and had no ability to function in society wind up living productive lives leading great families that are full of loving and healthy relationships and it all happens because of the light that the church is in the world and there is a preservative effect of the church being in the world now the truth is folks that if you're going to be salt and you're going to preserve meat then you got to be in contact with the meat it doesn't help to have salt sitting on the shelf in the cupboard and the meat laying out on the counter the salt is not going to be effective the salt only is effective when it's in close contact with what it is trying to preserve And there's a lot of times we probably would prefer not to have the pressures of living in the world in which we live. But one thing we have to remember is part of our role is to be in contact with the world. Part of our role is to rub shoulders with the world. And you know the thing about salt is you don't ever have to worry about the salt being corrupted by the meat. It is the meat that takes on the flavor of the salt and is affected by the salt. Sometimes I think maybe we're a little concerned, we're afraid, well, if I'm around all of these influences all the time, don't undersell the power of the Holy Ghost that works in our lives. The, The church, the salt, is what influences the world. And if the world starts to influence us, maybe it goes back to what the Lord said, if the salt had lost its saltiness. If we start to be affected by the world... We sense that even in our own lives, we need to say, Lord, I need a recharge. I need, I need some extra Holy Ghost. I need some extra saltiness because I'm not affecting, I'm not impacting, but I'm being affected and I'm being impacted. And this is clearly not the will of the Lord. It's an interesting thing what happens with salt. And I've, I've done this a little bit. Um, you know, you can go to Costco and they sell those pork belly things, right? And you can cure that and then you can smoke it and slice it up and fry some pretty good bacon. Yeah, praise God. Thank the Lord for Calvary. (laughs) Thank the Lord for that sheet of animals that was lowered down to Peter. And the Lord said, don't call what I've blessed. Don't call it common or unclean. Thank you, Lord. But it's a dangerous thing if the cure is not done right because the meat will go rancid. And if you eat it, if you don't die, you might wish you did because it's not pleasant. But the safest and the easiest ways to do it is with a what they call a wet cure and this was the way i did it you put they tell you how much to put in there how much of this salt now it's a pink salt but it's not that himalayan salt stuff not that marketing stuff this is the real deal it's a curing salt sometimes they call it prog powder or it's sodium nitrate it's a pink curing salt and you put it in with some liquid and then you put that slab of pork belly in that mixture and you can add other flavorings and all this sort of thing but the point is it takes time you have to leave it for several days so you put it 
put it in a Ziploc baggie, put it in the fridge, and then the wife is real happy with you because you have to go and it stays in the fridge. Are you ever going to get rid of this? Is it ever coming out of here? And you have to flip it over every day because what is happening is that salt in that solution, that liquid solution, it's going into the meat. And so the way you calculate how long this is going to take, it's based on the thickness of the meat. So it might take a week. You turn it over every day, it's going an eighth of an inch into that slab every every day. And it's got to go all the way through. You have to leave it to take long enough time to go all the way through because that meat needs to be cured all the way through or you're going to have a problem. My point is that We should not expect immediate results when we walk out into the world. But we're going to have to be in close contact with people for sometimes long periods of time. Because it takes time for that curing effect to work its way in through all the outer layers of that meat and get to the heart and make sure that we're actually having that sort of an impact in our world. But believe me, it is possible... And it works because we are the salt of the earth. We are the salt of the earth. Now, there's a passage in Second Thessalonians chapter 2 that talks about the end times. It talks about the revealing of the man of sin. And it's, Paul writes, and it's, a, it's an interesting thing that he says. He says, he's talking about um, the man of sin coming and he opposes and exalts himself against all that's called God. And he says, this is King James, the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Now, I read that in the King James because that's what we normally read. But if you're not, if you're not really paying attention you miss because the word let there doesn't mean what you think it means. So let me, let me read it in, uh, let me read it in the English Standard Version. He says, The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. What he's saying is there is a restraint that's in the world. The mystery of iniquity or the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Surely we don't have to make the case for that. Everyone here would agree that lawlessness is at work in the world. And and what what Paul is saying is the only thing that keeps it at bay, the only thing that contains it at all is there is one who is now restraining it and he will do so until he is taken out of the way. Well, who is this restrainer? I think the restrainer is the Holy Ghost. And specifically, it is the operation of the Holy Ghost through his church. And so what Paul is saying here is that as bad as things are, they would be a lot worse, and they will be a lot worse when the church is taken out of the way. Whenever this restraining force of the Holy Ghost operating through the church of God is removed from the earth, then all restraint will be taken off and there will be utter lawlessness, utter chaos taking over everything. And so this is 
this is the danger, this is the challenge, and this is actually where, where we are, is that we are at this point of actually having an impact in the world. And think about, think about Abraham in the Old Testament. The Lord told Abraham he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham knew that Lot was there, and he was grieved, and he said, Lord, would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? He said, what if there were 50 righteous in the city? And the Lord said, I would not destroy the city for 50 righteous. So Abraham says, I'm not too sure I can find 50. So how about 45? What if, what if it was 50, but just maybe five short of 50? No, for 45, I would not destroy the city. Lord, how about 40? Lord, how about 30? How about 20? How about 10? He said he would not destroy the city for the sake of 10 righteous. You think about that? Ten righteous people, and God says, I will withhold my hand of judgment for ten righteous people. We're the salt of the earth. We're the the thing that makes this livable at all. But there is coming a day when we're going to be pulled out. We're going to be taken away. And if you think it's bad now, it's going to be completely unrestrained. But currently, until that point, until the Lord says it's enough, our role, your role, my role, we are the salt of the earth. We can have an impact. We come in contact, every one of us, come in contact with people every day that nobody else in the room would ever be able to reach, would ever be able to have a relationship with. You know people like that. I know people like that. This is our role. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Amen. Why don't you stand with me tonight? I don't know about you, but I don't feel I don't feel like the salt of the earth. I don't feel like one that's able to hold back unrighteousness. It feels overwhelming. But that's okay. Because really, it's not about you, it's not about me. It is this it is that river of living water that lives inside of us that works and has this effect. We need to trust the Spirit of the Lord. Lord, lead me to hungry people that want to be affected, that want to be changed, that I can induce some thirst in them when they see the manner of living that that you have enabled me to live, the victory over sin that you have enabled me to live when they see that, Lord. Let there be thirst that comes into their lives so they will be drawn to you it's so strange to me that the lord would give us this role because clearly in his life his living on the earth he was he did exactly these things people came around him they were drawn and attracted to him and but then i remember that he said john 14 the works that i do greater works than these will you do because i'm going away What was he saying? He says, I'm going away. I'm with you now. I'm going away, but I will be in you. So in the same manner in which Jesus attracted broken and hurting people and he ministered healing to them and he ministered restoration to them, now that falls on us. He says, I've given unto you the ministry of reconciliation. And this is our role. Whether we feel it, whether we see it, whether we understand it, whether we think we're capable of it or not, The Lord is saying, you're the salt of the earth. Amen? Why don't we ask the Lord tonight to help us to be what he wants us to be? Lord, we're so grateful tonight.
that you would express these words in your word and that you would preserve them for us. I pray, Lord, right now that you would bring a sense of mission and purpose into our lives like we've not had before. An understanding that when we come in contact with people, if we have the true righteousness, not self-righteousness, but we allow your spirit to work, we can make men thirsty, Lord, and then we can lead them to the living water. I pray that you would help us to know, Lord, to have a sensitivity for people who are open and receptive to your work in their lives and that you would lead us to these people and that you would open doors for us that we would be in contact with people that need you, the hurting, the broken, the lost, the undone, the, thing, the ones that need you the most, that you would enable us, Lord, to exemplify what it means to be the salt and the preservative of the world in which we live until you call us out until you take us away we trust you in jesus name to do these things in our lives we love you jesus in jesus name amen everyone said amen why don't we offer a hand clap of praise to the lord tonight thank him amen what a great privilege to be his ambassador in this world amen lord bless you we will see you this weekend for our services look forward to a great rest of the week and See you this weekend. Amen.